Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why does making friends as an adult feel so what hard? What should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a four But that hookup was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. It's Thanksgiving week. So instead of doing Ask the Every Girl, I wanted to come on solo to give you guys some tips going into the holidays because this is something I always get asked about and I feel like people can spiral, which I totally get going into a time that's so focused on food and drink and you're out of your normal routine. Maybe you're traveling. Family dynamics can be tricky. Like it can be a very hard time to balance your healthy routines, taking care of your body with enjoying life and being a normal human being. You guys know I love food. I never restrict. I love to enjoy myself. And I believe that true wellness is actually freedom and joy rather than rules about eating or working out. This is not the podcast to listen to if you like rules. We're not about that here. But I also really like to feel my very best. And I know the major difference And not only just my digestion and period symptoms and all that, but also my energy and my zest for life and the way that I show up for the people I love. Like I know that these things are vastly different when I take care of and nourish my body. So I thought I'd share some non-negotiables that I feel like not only make my body feel amazing through the holidays, but actually help me enjoy the holidays more. First non-negotiable, every single morning I make a smoothie. Okay, and this is not my breakfast all the time. This is not like in place of whatever I might crave. This is just like on the side. Like I almost think of this as like my daily supplement. So for example, if I'm going to be having cinnamon rolls on Thanksgiving morning while we watch the parade. Also, not a turkey trot family. I I would like to hear from the turkey trot families out there. How does one wake up on Thanksgiving morning and run a 5K? That's for another day. Back to the smoothie. I make a smoothie every morning, especially when I know I'm going to be having a busy day, when I'm going to be eating foods that probably are going to upset my stomach or make me feel inflamed. I feel like I can pack in so many supportive nutrients that my body will love and that will make me feel really good for the entire day. So I throw a bunch of shit in there. I load it up. My favorite combo for smoothie is greens, either usually like spinach or some kind of like mixed greens situation. Blueberries always. Blueberries are super high in antioxidants. I like frozen wild blueberries because they're even more potent in antioxidants. Flax seeds, chia seeds, great to get those omega-3s in. They're also really supportive for hormonal health. Protein powder, I like a clean one. I like Rituals, Truvani. There's a lot of good clean ones on the market that also make your smoothie taste delicious. A little avocado or almond butter in there, get some healthy fats, make it creamy. And then I like to add in some maca, cacao, bee pollen, like Add in whatever. This is your time to go superfood wellness girl smoothie. So on Thanksgiving, when I have this loaded smoothie, I know the amount of vitamins, phytonutrients, minerals, proteins, fats, all these healthy things that my body needs that I gave to my body before a day of eating pumpkin pie and dinner rolls and all the things. So I just know that I'm supporting my body in this really amazing way. If I am eating another breakfast, so I don't want it to be too heavy, like if I'm craving eggs and I want to eat the eggs in a cinnamon roll, I'm craving a cinnamon roll right now. I keep coming back to that a lot. Anyway, if I'm craving something else or I want to eat something else for breakfast, I do not force myself to eat the smoothie. Instead of the smoothie, I will make a juice. And this is a juice that I make pretty much every single day. Lately, I've been off my smoothie game and I've been more craving like oatmeal. Sometimes I really like yogurt and like a high protein cereal like Catalina Crunch. 
Um, or there's this one I get from Amazon called, I think, Justin's Bakery, Justine's Bakery, something like that. Like high protein, good cereal, very clean ingredients and some berries in it. So I've been craving that more than a smoothie, probably just because we're getting more into those months where you want something that's like a little bit more grounding and hearty. I still like to make a juice because I'm, again, packing in so many nutrients. So this is the juice that I make on repeat and will absolutely lean on during the holidays. Spinach, little cucumber, frozen pineapple, ginger root, cilantro and mint. I know that's weird, but so important. Coconut water. And then the key is half of a lemon. And I don't mean half of a lemon juice. I mean like the entire half lemon, like peel, the seeds. There are so many nutrients that are so powerful for your digestion. The only thing is just make sure to wash your lemons really well, get organic and wash the lemons well because there can be a lot of pesticides on lemon peels. So just make sure to wash really well. The ingredients are prime for digestion, for immune system, skin, energy, supporting the body's detoxification process. Like there's so many phenomenal nutrients. I'm not bougie enough to have a juicer that feels like for my 30s, like when I'm that much more of an adult, then maybe I'll get a juicer. But for now, I'm yellowing it. I add it to the blender. All these ingredients are water dense enough and not very fibrous. So the consistency comes out to be more like a juice rather than a smoothie. To me, this is like the way that I'm supporting my body and feeding my body nutrients, allowing my body support with detoxification, all the important things. So that's tip number one. Have a smoothie or juice every morning. In addition to your breakfast, don't make it something like limited and restrictive and force yourself into a smoothie. Non-negotiable number two. Every morning, I make sure to have a moment for myself and do a meditation from the Superhuman app. I had Mimi Bouchard, the founder of Superhuman, on a few months ago. If you guys have not listened to it, my God, stop this. Go listen. It is a powerful one. I like this app because I can base the meditation I do off of what I need. So for example, especially going into the holidays, if I'm feeling out of touch with my body, there's a meditation focused on that. If I you know, want to show up as my best self for Thanksgiving dinner, there are many meditations for that. If you have family drama or just want to feel gratitude while being around your family, there are meditations for that. So I like to be very specific because I think otherwise it can get a little monotonous and you lose that intentionality of why you're taking time for yourself in the first place. I also am not a girly that can sit in silence and do a meditation in the morning. I'm trying really hard to be because it's really great for your nervous system to be able to sit in stillness, relax. And I can do it at night because I guess I'm like tired and ready to PTFO anyway. But during the morning, I'm like on to the next. Let's go. Let's get it. So for my meditation, I like to do it while I'm getting ready. Maybe I'll put it on like doing my makeup. Sometimes I'll take a walk. The other piece of this, though, that I want to add in there is I think that we are not always thinking about meditation in the way that's most supportive. Like we have this idea of meditation that it needs to be this 30-minute period of time. It's another thing to check off the to-do list. I have changed my mind because I think that it's obviously important to be still and focus on your mindset. But I also feel like meditation should be a way of life. We can live our life in meditation through finding moments of presence, of peace, of stillness, of mindfulness. So I think whether or not you have superhuman, whether or not you like to meditate, whether or not you like to journal, my biggest non-negotiable anytime, but especially going through the holidays, is to think I'm going into it like I'm living through a meditation. I'm getting to live in my most present self. I am mindful. I am engaged. I am focused on experiencing joy even when things feel stressful or feel anxiety-provoking. So that's my biggest focus is not only just setting aside time for myself, because again, that's very important too, and having that like morning where you can just ground yourself, reset, renew, but to go into every holiday event, every time with friends, family, by yourself, whatever it is, with the intention of I'm going to be fully at peace and I'm going to be fully present. I will give you guys a little bonus tip, if you will, a little sneak peek. I just interviewed Vienna Farron for an episode that's going live in a couple weeks in December, but her tips were so good that I was like, I got to share one with you guys going into Thanksgiving because I know a lot of you are going to need this one. By the way, she's a family and marriage therapist. I should have mentioned that. She's amazing. Such a great episode. I can't wait for you to listen to. 
But in our interview, she talks a lot about how to stay calm during the holidays, especially when family dynamics come into play. One of the amazing tips that she shared was to take a moment. It can be excusing yourself to the bathroom, going outside for a second, getting a glass of water. You don't even have to leave the room. And just taking a moment for yourself and asking yourself really quickly, how old do I feel right now? How old do I feel right now? Do I feel like the 13-year-old who was fighting for independence but wasn't feeling heard? Do I feel like the teenager who learned that my body wasn't good enough so I feel triggered around food because it's another source to feel like I'm not worthy as I am? Am I the six-year-old who felt like I had to please other people in order to make my parents happy? You know, what age do you feel? I think can be such a powerful question because I think when we do that, we can separate ourselves and realize this isn't present me feeling this reaction. This isn't present me struggling with this. This is a past version of me that is asking for love and support and attention. And what does that past version of me need? And then you can offer that to yourself. It allows us to really reframe and check in with what we actually need in that moment. And that, to me, is even more beneficial than the 30-minute, 20-minute meditation in the morning. Last non-negotiable is one that I still struggle with on a regular basis, and that is eating until I feel good and not going beyond that. And I struggle with that because I eat like a baby dinosaur and I will just devour whatever. So this has been a hard one for me because I've been very intentional about trying to reframe my mindfulness around food because that's something that does not come naturally to me. And I say that because I feel like I, I hear so many like wellness influencers and experts and stuff be like, I put my fork down between bites and I chew very mindfully. And I'm like, okay, yeah, noted. I'll do that. And then I'm like, who out there is putting their fork down in between bites? Who's take, Who's got the time, first of all? Second of all, who thinks that hard? So I struggle with this too. This is just my intention that helps me feel better. What I do is I take a few deep breaths before eating, especially going into me like Thanksgiving or like a family dinner where you typically are very focused on everyone else in the conversation. And again, you should be. That should be your main focus is to enjoy the people that you're with. But I like to take a moment, just like a quick deep breath. First of all, it resets my system. It puts my body into rest and digest so that the body can optimally digest the food I'm about to consume. But it also centers my mind to be like, okay, I'm supposed to be mindful. I'm going to enjoy this food. I'm not going to mindlessly rush through it, just gobbling down whatever's on my plate. I'm going to enjoy this. So I set the scene. Then throughout the meal, I check in with myself like once or twice. I'm not over here on the kid's table like needing total peace and quiet so I can digest my food and like have a whole meditation. I am focused on my family and having fun and the people I'm with. But I just take one second to be like, okay, Josie, how are we feeling? What's our stomach saying? Are we still hungry? Do we want more? Do I need a little more joy? And I want to go get another slice of pecan pie? Great. Then I'm going to do that. Do I feel pretty full or I feel satisfied? Okay, great. Then maybe I'll stop eating, see how I feel. Do I feel like I need more nourishment? Then maybe I'll go ham on the Brussels sprouts. So it's just having this moments of check-in to really see how your body's feeling. Before I get to the point where I feel like full, I stop and I give myself a few minutes to just see how I feel because I do find that it takes some time for the body to fully realize I've had enough. I like that intention because I hate all of the portion size bullshit out there. I hate the rules that are like, this is what a serving size looks like, or you shouldn't eat more pasta than a fist, or you should have a meat that's I don't know because I don't eat meat, so I actually don't even know. But I don't like any of that because, first of all, your body is different all the time. I talk about this with cycle especially, but there's a various reasons why your body needs different things every day. One day might need more fats, protein, and fuel. The other day it might need less. One day might need a little bit more joy through food. The other day might need less. So your body is different every single day. On top of that, every body is different. So there's something called bioindividuality, which literally defines that every single body is different. So what someone else's portion size is, is not yours. What your portion size is two weeks ago is not your portion size now. So what we can do is just listen to our bodies. Our bodies are always communicating with us. 
always talking to us and all we have to do is listen. So allowing yourself that check-in gives you the space to listen. It will tell you when it's full. It will tell you if it needs more nutrients. It will tell you if it wants another pecan pie and that's okay too. The body needs different things. Listen to your body over portion sizes and all that crap. So those are my three non-negotiables. There are so many ways that I like to take care of and support my body supplements, all those good things that I could easily get into and go off on a tangent. But if you ask me, these are the three things that really make a difference that I won't skip no matter what that I'm so intentional about that help me enjoy the holidays. But let's get into the episode today because our guest comes loaded with more tips to help you get healthy. Lauren Papanos is an integrative dietitian, hormone specialist, and published nutrition researcher. She may be one of the most impressive health experts I have ever talked to because she knows her shit. Like her advice is not typical advice you hear. She is so well-researched, understands the body incredibly well, and I think dives way deeper into functional health and root causes than the average practitioner. In this episode, you'll find out the three main reasons why we're all dealing with hormonal issues because I swear every woman that I know has PCOS or cramps or acne around their period, turns out there are three specific reasons and root causes for that. We also talk about why you're probably malnourished and exercising too hard, which is a very interesting counter argument to what we typically hear from the wellness industry, which is we're not moving enough, we're eating too much. And then Lauren gives some incredible tips to heal your body and optimize your hormones. And no, they are not the tips that you have heard before, those typical cycle syncing tips. I love cycle syncing. I cycle sync my life, but Lauren sets the record straight on how some of the cycle syncing information out there is actually wrong and can be damaging hormones depending on your body and your symptoms. So this information is going to dramatically help so many of you. In addition to all the hormone tips, Lauren dives into metabolism and thyroid to offer advice and insight for you guys looking to optimize those parts of your health. Lastly, Lauren shares phenomenal concrete tips and things that she does to enjoy the holidays without letting it derail her healing process so she can continue feeling her best through the season without restriction. She is my kind of girl where she loves a detail. She goes into the specifics. She loves a wellness routine, but she also loves to eat and she loves to enjoy. You guys, it's hot girl winter. So these tips are going to get you there. This one is for all the hormone girlies. Think of it like all the insight you need to level up your health. We're really taking it to the next level. Please welcome Lauren Papanos to the Every Girl Podcast. When do you first remember being interested in wellness? Like when did you start taking care of your body? I think I've been interested or I know I've been interested since I was a really young girl. Growing up, my mom always had a garden and my dad, he's Greek. And so I grew up with Mediterranean influence. And then it wasn't until I went to college where I was just taking one class on nutrition as I thought I was going to minor in it and then ended up realizing, oh, I can actually become a medical professional, but specialize in the nutrition side of things. And that was when I kind of ran with, okay, I'm going to become a registered dietitian and then continued on from there. That's so cool that you have the background of your dad bringing a Mediterranean influence that your mom was interested in and having her own garden. That's so rare because diet culture for us growing up, like in the media was very prominent. Like that was health, was diet culture. And it was the low fat snack packs and all of those things that we associate now with being unhealthy and toxic, that was what we knew as health. Whereas you got exposure to this whole other way of living that was whole foods from the earth and very plant rich. Do you remember being influenced by diet culture? Did you feel distance from it because you had different examples with your family? I was definitely still influenced by it. You know, I remember growing up reading magazines a lot, but I feel that my cultural piece of my upbringing grounded me and knowing that that wasn't the way. So I do feel that I had an advantage with that kind of Mediterranean background and more of this food as medicine type influence that helped me not get so absorbed in it. So how did you start focusing on hormonal health and get interested in women's reproductive health? It was through my own personal journey. I grew up as a competitive gymnast and then ended up getting a competitive cheer scholarship for college. And during that time, I lost my period and started to have some really bad 
hormonal symptoms, digestive symptoms, acne, you name it. And I pretty much was experiencing it. And then couple that with then entering a really rigorous grad school program and stress, creating the perfect storm for things to become even worse. And every couple months, I would go to a new specialist. I had brain imaging done. I had testing upon testing done and tried all of the conventional and alternative medicine modalities. And everyone was just at a loss for why I was having these hormonal symptoms. It was just so isolating because I felt like no one else was experiencing this. This was really before social media was what it is today. So there wasn't any community that I could find to really be able to feel validated in what I was experiencing. I was in school to become a dietitian at that point. So I started to get exposure to functional medicine through my dietetic internship and my graduate school program. And that was really what was the catalyst for me being able to get to the root cause of what was going on and to understand the source of why I was having the issues I was. Once I understood that and started to address things from more of a personalized perspective, I finally started to heal and all my symptoms slowly started to improve. I got my period back. Fast forward, I started my career and I was working in athletics, but I was also doing research in hormonal manifestations in college athletes. And so we were looking at uh, how nutrition plays into hormonal disturbances. We were looking at hundreds and hundreds of athletes, and I was seeing that across the board, every single one of these athletes, there was a correlation between dietary intake of what they were consuming, how they were consuming it, and nutritional deficiencies and their hormone levels. I started to realize, oh my gosh, this isn't just in this population. So I started to just dive more and more into the endocrine space and learning from researchers and people that were really advanced in the field. I started my own private practice and I started helping people that weren't just athletes that were dealing with hormonal conditions. I was helping older women, women that were dealing with infertility, women that were the younger person that I was that had amenorrhea. And I really just continue to build out this specialty for some women that are really experiencing like these very complex hormone imbalances. There are solutions that are out there that a lot of times women aren't being educated on enough. And that's one of the things that I feel really passionate about is helping women that are in that situation get the answers that they deserve. Your story is so interesting because it's one that so many women see themselves in. I see myself in it. You know, for years and years, I had awful periods that every doctor I went to was like, sorry, that just has some women are. Here's a prescription painkiller. And I knew this isn't right. Something else is going on. And what I've heard from so many women is that exact same story where there were these symptoms that they could not get to the bottom of. Why do you think that so many women are experiencing hormone-related symptoms or PCOS or irregular periods or issues with their reproductive cycle? Can you pinpoint any root cause? I think there are several. And I think a lot of them are environmental causes. We know the soil is extremely depleted and there is 10% of the vitamin content that there once was 50 years ago. People just aren't getting in the nutrients that they need. There's also an increase in industrialization that increases foods that are void of these nutrients, right? Packaged foods, convenience foods, even if they're healthy packaged foods, they still don't have all of the phytonutrients and vitamins that are alive and active for our body to be able to utilize. Our society is really undernourished and these nutrients are the building blocks for us to be able to make hormones. A lot of people don't realize that what you eat is literally the bricks that build the house, the house being your hormones. So many of us are just undernourished and don't have nutrients that we need. Secondly, I think that there's been such an increase in endocrine disrupting chemicals in the last 10, 20 years and continues to increase, you know, everything from an increase in plastics being used to fragrances and um, pesticides and herbicides and all of these things that are at the desk we're sitting at or the shirt we're wearing, the food that we're eating, the water we're drinking. It's literally ubiquitous. We're just being exposed to these chemicals and we know and we're learning more and more every day about the role that they have in displacing our own hormones' ability to bind to the receptors in our body that need our own hormones. They can really impact our body's own ability to use the hormones that our body is making. 
the third one is the increase in hustle culture. And that's something that I was very much influenced by at a young age. And I'm still having to constantly rewrite that. We're so influenced by media and this idea of perfection in every aspect of our life. It's like you have to be successful at business. You have to be successful at health and you have to be successful at being a human being. And there's just so much pressure that really impacts our nervous system regulation. And our nervous system is how our body essentially gets signals that then communicate with how our endocrine system works. If our nervous system is a constantly in an anxious and dysregulated state, that's going to impact our brain's signals to be able to make the right amount of hormones that it should. That makes so much sense. Even 100 years ago, we didn't have any of the toxins we have now. We also didn't have the hustle culture we have now. All of these things are relatively new for us as a species. And our bodies, of course, have not evolved to be able to handle it. So our body's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to get into your tips of what to do about it, because I know that's what our listeners are probably thinking right now is like, great, I'm screwed for life. Can you talk more about the malnourishment? Are there specific nutrients that we should be supplementing with or looking for that directly impact hormones? Or is it like overall, we're just doomed to be malnourished? There's two pieces. One piece, which is what we call energy availability. And the second piece is the nutrient availability. Energy availability is essentially the availability of energy that's left over for the body after it uses the food that you eat, which is energy, right? Once it uses the food you eat for all of the processes of your body working. So things like your heart, your liver, your kidneys, your brain, exercise, walking from point A to point B, whatever's left over, that's what we consider availability. What we know is that when there is a low energy availability, so when there's no energy left over or there's a deficit of energy left over, it has a huge impact on our endocrine system, our hormones. Sometimes women enter into low energy availability because they are fasting and they're not eating enough throughout the day. It could also be that they are consumed by some of the diet culture, like you mentioned, and this low calorie, low fat, low carb craze where maybe you feel full. And so you're like, I feel that I'm eating enough, but you're not actually getting the energy that your body needs. And that puts you in a low energy state. The third, which I saw a lot working in sport, is just intense exercise. For a lot of active people, they don't realize how much energy it's being expended, not just through actual exercise, so the hours you're exercising, but also the metabolic impact that that puts on your body for hours afterwards. You're not just burning calories during exercise. You're also having a metabolic response afterwards. Sometimes it's that people can't afford to be enough to be able to match that or they don't have the time. They don't have the preparation skills to make sure that they're eating enough. You really have to treat it like a second job when you are that active because there's so much planning and strategy to make sure that you're staying in this positive energy balance state. That really we know impacts women in those reproductive years from when you first have your first period all the way up until you had your last period, which would be menopause when you've not had a period for a year. Those years in between there, which could be anywhere from like 12 to 50, energy availability is going to play an extreme role in your overall hormone balance. The second piece of that is the nutrient availability. And that's the actual what are you eating within that energy. So you have nutrients that you consume through food, things like iron and specific B vitamins, zinc, selenium, a lot of minerals. These minerals and vitamins are how our body not only makes hormones, but also converts these hormones. We have lots of hormones that are inactive, which means they're in our body, but they're not actually being utilized actively. In order to convert those inactive hormones to their active, usable form, we need those vitamins and minerals. And a lot of us just simply aren't getting enough of them, or maybe we're not absorbing them well enough. And that can go back to like things going on in the gut, where maybe the gut is inflamed and we have microbiome issues that are impacting how well we absorb those vitamins that we are eating. Wow, that makes so much sense. And that's an interesting part of hormones that I feel like isn't discussed enough. People are talking about the cycle syncing, but they're not really talking about like 
the health of the hormones to begin with. So what do we do? What's the answer to having that proper balance between nutrition and exercise? It can be really tricky to establish and it can take a little bit of trial and error to find what your individual body needs and also what's conducive for your lifestyle, your goals. There's so many factors that go into this. If someone's in a acute hormone imbalance, they're not having a period, they just got diagnosed with PCOS and they're dealing with a lot of the symptoms that come with that, like dark horse facial hair growth, acne, regular period infertility, then the strategy is probably going to look different than for a woman who doesn't have a hormone condition, but is just wanting to make sure that they're supporting their hormones. That's because there are certain things from a nutritional therapy perspective that we might do for treatment to improve those symptoms that are happening. But I like to always work with people in understanding what their lifestyle and their goals look like. Because, you know, I can give you like an example of what I found to work for me, but that might not be what works for you. I personally really love exercise. I've been active and an athlete my entire life. I still work out almost every day, but it's not quite the intensity or the length that I used to. I had to really come to this decision with myself. Okay, am I going to continue to exercise competitively and then have to worry about always making sure that I'm eating enough throughout the day, treating it like a second job, right? Or am I going to make the decision to take a step back from exercise, really see exercise as movement, just staying active, doing things that are a little bit more manageable for my nervous system, and still really nourish my body and make sure that I have the principles in place of good nutrition, but not, again, have as much uh, responsibility as I would if I was exercising as much. So there's days where I wish I could go on a six mile run and know that I wasn't going to probably have an irregular period this month. But I just can't do that. My body doesn't want to do that because of my history of hormone imbalances. That's one way that I've been able to find that sweet spot for myself of how do I get the best of both worlds, continuing to do something I love, but doing it in a way that isn't going to create hormonal chaos because of my body's own hormonal imbalances that I typically am prone to. That's a really fascinating mindset shift from what most people are probably used to, which is here's how to exercise more, here's how to get more steps in, thinking that actually more is not better and focusing on less or the right balance, or I think is a very powerful mindset shift. Are there signs to know if someone is over-exercising? Like how do you help patients find that sweet spot of how much exercise is good for them before it gets to the point where it's damaging hormones? It's a great question. And again, it will depend on the acuity of like symptoms that they're experiencing. If I'm working with a patient and they're dealing with infertility and they're like, I want to get pregnant in the next three months, we might pull out exercise entirely or we might go down to just low impact exercise a couple of days per week because that's what we know the research states somewhere around three times per week of low to moderate exercise. And that might feel like a huge shock to them if they've come from doing interval classes six days per week, then going down to three days of low to moderate exercise is a bit of a change. And that can have a lot of psychological effects with it that we have to work through. I also have other patients that I work with where we actually use their cycle data to personalize this. So I might have them track their cycles using basal body temperature tracking, where you take your temperature under the tongue or you use a device like an aura ring or a whoop band to gauge your body's basal body temperature when you first wake up every morning. And once we can identify where their ovulation point is, so once they get a temperature spike of about 0.5 to a full degree, then we can really know, okay, this is when your body should be ovulating. For the average woman, it should be somewhere around day 15 to 25. But in a situation where someone has PCOS, there might be a lot more variability. So one strategy that I have some of my patients that I work with that have difficulty with ovulation, maybe because they have PCOS or because they are more prone to amenorrhea, the week before they're supposed to ovulate, I'll have them do what I call a low stress week. And this is a week where instead of waking up early at 5 a.m. before work to go work out, they sleep in. They maybe go on a nice little walk for a couple minutes before they get ready. They slowly ease into their day. Maybe that's a week where they book like a massage or they do some type of self-care practice. They really try to work on getting meditation in more consistently or breathing exercises, whatever works best for them. 
And they really just focus on low intensity movement, like walking, or maybe if they want to do a yoga class here or there, they do something like that. And then once they get that temperature spike happen, then we return back to more of a balanced way of exercise that we've established for them. I find that strategy to be really effective for a lot of these women because a lot of like the cycle syncing information out there tells you that before you ovulate or when you ovulate, that's when you should go balls to the wall with your exercise. And that's when you have the most energy and capacity to work out at a high intensity. But that's for women that have optimal hormones. And most women don't have optimal hormones, at least the women that I work with do not. It actually needs to look opposite of what those cycle syncing charts say, because in women that are having hormone imbalances, their hormones look the opposite of what a normal hormone cycle should look like throughout the month. So if you did that, it would actually only perpetuate the hormone imbalance that you're already experiencing. And that's where the personalization comes in of trying to identify what that individual needs based off where their hormone levels are throughout the month. I bet that is the best assignment that anyone's ever received from a practitioner is to have a low stress week, go get a massage. What about for period issues? Like it's a regular period, you're ovulating, but you have really bad cramps or really bad symptoms around your period. Is that a different protocol or is it also related to ovulation and de-stress around that time? Mm -hmm. Good question. So in a situation like that, where someone is ovulating consistently, maybe around day 15, day 20 of every month, but they're having those really bad PMS symptoms, there's really like two main things that I look at and want to address that I see really be effective for most women. The first one is, are they having low progesterone issues? When you ovulate, that's what actually signals for progesterone to be made. So you can ovulate and make progesterone, but there is something that's called a luteal phase defect, which is where you make progesterone, but then progesterone drops back down. So instead of progesterone staying elevated all throughout your luteal phase and dropping into when you start your next period, it actually teeters up and down. And that can lead to worsening of PMS symptoms because you don't have adequate progesterone to kind of counterbalance that estrogen that's also there. So one way you can see if that's an issue for you is just taking your basal body temperature every day. And if you notice that there's a lot of fluctuations, so when you ovulate, your temperature is coming up to 98.2 degrees, but then four days after that, your temperature comes back down to 97.2, and then it comes back up to 98, and then it comes back down to the low 97s. And there's a lot of variability. You probably need some progesterone support. And I really recommend for women to focus on natural ways to support their progesterone rather than actually utilizing progesterone, unless you're in a situation where you need it, like you have infertility type situations, progesterone actually decreases the amount your body makes naturally. And majority of women should be able to make progesterone if you're in those reproductive years. So there are natural things like making sure you're getting adequate B6 and vitamin C. And these can be things through diet as well as supplementation that can help boost those progesterone levels. The second piece is lowering your inflammatory environment. When you look at cycle syncing information, it typically says, make sure that you are taking a low stress week the week before you start your period. And so for someone that does deal with PMS, that can be helpful because exercise can create inflammation, especially resistance training where you're tearing muscle fibers, right? There is a little bit of like microinflammation that happens. So it would be valuable in that situation to maybe look at doing lower intensity workouts that week before. And then I would also look at making sure you're flooding the body with anti-inflammatory nutrients. I call it the PMS stack, but essentially it's making sure that you've got magnesium through diet and supplementation, omega-3s, vitamin E, and then turmeric. You can do turmeric or you can do ginger and they kind of work in the same mechanisms. But I typically will have women that have those PMS symptoms, like really focus on making sure they're hitting the therapeutic dose of those sources, their food and supplements for that week before and into day two of starting their period. And I find that to be really effective in helping lower everything from like cramping to headaches to fatigue. All of those are inflammation symptoms. Right before you start your period, there's a higher level of inflammation in your body to begin with. And if you already have high inflammations, you can imagine how high that inflammation gets. And that's why you experience a lot of those symptoms. When I was having really bad periods, I was like, when I, I'm not on my period, I do not want to think about it. So I'm just going to like pretend it doesn't exist. Then day would come on my period. I would have to go home from school because I'd have the worst cramps. And then I'd just be like trying to get as much Advil in to help. And it wasn't working. So it's so smart just to think, what am I doing to support my body before 
I'm actually menstruating? What are you doing to support your body beforehand to prevent it rather than reacting when your body does have these symptoms? What do you say for patients that you have who have a, a reaction to limiting working out or avoiding working out at certain times? What do you say to those patients? In those types of situations, there may be more complexity in terms of like body image or food relationships. So there might be a bit more counseling that's involved. One practice that I really like to utilize are these micro exposures. And you can do this in many situations, whether it's food or exercise related. But instead of taking the whole week off of exercise, right, just start with adjusting workouts that one day. So just Monday out of the entire week. And then the next day, I'll have them journal and reflect on what physical and emotional changes do they notice by making that adjustment. And 99% of the time, what they will journal on and what they'll notice is nothing. There was no negative. Once we do that on Monday, then maybe the next week or the next month, let's do Monday and Tuesday, and then let's journal on it. Okay, again, nothing bad happened. Now let's add a third day into it. A lot of times our brain is so fearful that there's going to be these negative ramifications. You know, I eat a cookie and I'm going to instantly see five more pounds on the scale or I'm going to not do my workout class on Monday and I'm going to instantly gain five pounds the next day. But we can really build those confidence muscles with ourselves of teaching our brain. There's nothing to be fearful of. You can really start to build that trust with your body and also rewire your brain in terms of not seeing that as something that's going to be a catastrophe anymore. That makes sense because we know that if the opposite happened, it wouldn't make a difference. Like if we never worked out and there was one week that we worked out really hard every single day, we know that it wouldn't change our body if we didn't keep it up. One salad is not going to make you healthy if you're eating a diet full of donuts, just like having one donut is not going to make you unhealthy if you're eating a diet full of plant-rich foods. It's all very mindset-rooted. The fear around our bodies and not trusting our bodies, I think that's so powerful to learn. We actually can trust our bodies to be healthy as they are. We can support them, love them, listen to them. But it's not like we have to be working so over time and doing intense workouts and intense limiting diets in order for our body to do what it's supposed to do. And in most cases, like you're saying, it actually negatively impacts it and is hindering it from doing what it's supposed to do. I know, again, that it's really hard to generalize and to give tips that apply to everybody. But do you have a hormone healthy protocol or any other advice that you give to patients that are just looking to heal their hormones? I think the first place I would start is track your cycle. A lot of women will use a calendar method because that's the most accessible and the easiest to do, but it doesn't really teach you much about your cycle. Ovulation really is the MVP of your cycle. So I actually would focus your energy more on if and when you're ovulating and tracking for that rather than tracking for when you start your period. Because if you're not ovulating, then that's a really good indicator that there is hormonal imbalance going on and your recommendations are going to look different than someone that is ovulating. Generally, ovulation should happen around day 14 to day 20 of the cycle, day one being the first day that you start bleeding. And the best ways to track for ovulation are either through basal body temperature tracking, which is where you take your temperature under your tongue when you first wake up in the morning, before you leave bed, before you drink water. Once you see a temperature spike of 0.5 to a full degree, that is when you've ovulated. Another option are ovulation test strips, which are test strips that you urinate on. And you can urinate on them a couple of days before that day 14 mark and continue to urinate on them until you see a positive LH surge, which is what they're testing for. Not only is that going to help to improve your hormones and alleviate these symptoms and make your period more manageable, it's also going to help you learn your body more and help you connect better with your body. If you know where you are in your cycle, it starts to help that everything in your world makes so much more sense, right? So I track my cycle extremely closely. If I am, I wake up one day and I'm just in a terrible mood or I'm feeling like really low mood state or I'm just not feeling motivation to work out. And I look at my calendar and I'm like, oh, you're seven days out from starting your period. It's less of like, oh my gosh, you need to muster up the strength to get through this day and you need to push through it and hustle girl mindset and more so of like a deep breath of, it's my body. It's my body physiologically can't do it. There's nothing to freak out about. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to wake up tomorrow or in a couple of days, I'm going to feel better. But I just know this is the state that my body's in. And so I think it really does help to 
connect with your body. And once you start to make that connection, you start to want to take better care of your body. You start to want to nourish your body better with the foods that you're eating and maybe adjust your workouts to be a little bit more healthy for you psychologically and physically and sleep more. And all of these types of good, healthy self-care practices start to improve because you're doing it not just for the number on the scale or what your body looks like, you're doing it to really like take care of yourself as a form of self-care and really support your body internally, which I think always is going to be a much stronger motivator than just focusing on what the physical change looks like. Yeah. And it's the huge shift of knowing your body is its own expert, that your body knows exactly what it needs. You just have to listen to it. So rather than thinking, I'm feeling so low motivation. All I want to do is take a nap, but I'm going to go force myself to get to the gym and do an intense workout because that's what I think is good for my body. When in reality, your body's saying, hello, this is not what we need. We need a rest. We need to relax. I want to talk about metabolism. Can you explain what is metabolism? How does it relate to hormones? And what are some misconceptions that you see about it? So metabolism essentially means the process of our body breaking down the food that we eat into energy. You consume protein, carbohydrates, and fat. Those are macronutrients. Then we use specific vitamins like B vitamins and amino acids to take that food, those macronutrients, and convert it into energy for our cells. There's other ancillary things that impact that, though, that we know impact our metabolism, hormones play one large role in metabolism by influencing things like how we burn the energy that we consume or how our body puts it into storage. There's other things like our gut that impact how our body metabolizes food. So kind of breaks down that food to then bring it into the cells to convert it into energy. But as it relates to hormones, there's a few different hormones that impact metabolism more than others. The first one being insulin. Insulin's job is to take the sugar that we consume, anything that has carbohydrate or that even has protein that can be eventually broken down into carbohydrates. It helps us to take that into the cells that use those carbohydrates or those sugars. And for many people, there is insulin resistance. And when that happens, that process essentially isn't working efficiently. So that energy that we're eating isn't getting put into the cells that need it. Instead, that energy is just sitting there. It's not getting metabolized. So it blocks that whole process. A second big one can be thyroid hormones. And this is an area that a lot of times can be confusing for women because when you go to the doctor, they're going to test your TSH levels, which stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. Thyroid stimulating hormone isn't actually a thyroid hormone. It's actually a hormone made in our brain and our pituitary gland that just stimulates our thyroid to make thyroid hormones. The reason why they test for that is because that is the hormone that is impacted by pharmaceuticals. So if your TSH comes back out of range, it's higher, it's low, then they're going to start you on thyroid hormone replacement. And in order for them to monitor how your body's responding, they're going to retest your TSH because that's the metric that's going to get impacted by that thyroid hormone replacement. However, from a metabolism perspective, TSH does not have a very big impact. The biggest impact of the metabolism from thyroid hormones is from our active thyroid hormone, which is called free T3. And that's not as commonly tested. Generally, it's only tested if you go to someone that's more integrative, functional, more kind of precision medicine minded. And that is the actual thyroid hormone that impacts that food we eat and being able to take that energy into the cell and really utilize it so that our body's not just storing food as we consume it. Okay. That's really interesting because I've heard of so many women that have thyroid related symptoms, like they have an intuition inclination that something's going on, but then they go and they're labs, like the basic blood work comes back normal. I've heard that so many times. So is that just because they might not be testing all the hormones? That doesn't mean that everything is normal in the thyroid. They just didn't test the right things. Yeah. Oftentimes it's that the full panel wasn't run. So the free T3 wasn't tested. And even if it was, which very rarely happened, but even if it was, a lot of times they can't 
really tell you much in terms of why it's low, unless you go to a more functional or integrative doctor. And my practice, we're both registered dietitians and functional nutritionists, and we order that testing as well. And then can do that additional testing to understand why 3T3 is low. Generally, I would say more functional medicine, integrative medicine, registered dietitians are typically going to test for that 3T3 because it does make a big impact on our piece of the treatment puzzle. We're not going to use pharmaceuticals, so we don't really care about the TSH. We're going to use the root causes and nutrition and supplements to change those hormone levels. And so we need that information. When I was doing research in hormones and nutrition, like I mentioned early on in my career, the biggest thing that we saw was that there was a lot of these hormone imbalances that were happening in subjects that had really low free T3. Every single time, once we started to attack the nutrition piece of things, that free T3 improved pretty dramatically within a couple of weeks to a couple of months metabolically, everything started to improve as well. So beyond anything else, nutrition is going to play the biggest role in how that metabolic function of those thyroid hormones happens. Is it just like get enough lean protein, eat your fruits and veggies? Or what is the nutrition piece that you're adding to patients dealing with that? If it's maybe an energy deficiency, it's finding strategies and education around what that energy intake needs to look like and how much overall calories and how those calories are broken down. I'm not a big calorie person. I like to educate people more so on what their plates should look like, what is an adequate amount of foods, not having someone actually count calories because I find that to be really unsustainable and triggering for a lot of people. So that's the first piece is helping them understand what that looks like just from an energy intake perspective. The second thing is auditing. Is there enough good complex carbohydrates in the diet and how are those being eaten throughout the day? Because those are going to play a really large role in thyroid hormone conversion and then making sure that there's adequate minerals as well. So those minerals I talked about, what there's an iron deficiency, magnesium, zinc, a selenium deficiency that we are integrating those food sources or supplementation to help restore deficiency. But there can also be situations where someone might have high levels of mycotoxins, so they've got mold exposure, or they have environmental toxins, heavy metals, they have gut imbalances within their microbiome of bacteria, and those are what are causing that low free T3. And in those situations, the nutritional approach looks very different because then we're using nutrition to support liver detoxification and decrease exposure of some of these things like the mycotoxins and endocrine disruptors. When you said it's about like how you're eating complex carbohydrates throughout the day, what does that mean? Is there certain times that are better or is it just making sure that there's like high fiber? If I'm working with someone that has an insulin resistance where their insulin levels are elevated, we might work on making sure that majority of their complex carbohydrates are around exercise because that's when you're going to be the most sensitive to insulin. So you're going to have the best ability to metabolize those carbohydrates until we can improve that insulin resistance. So that might be one example. A second example for someone that maybe not insulin resistant has totally healthy insulin levels then it might be that they're dealing with high cortisol issues and they're struggling to fall asleep at night. A lot of people don't know that carbohydrates actually are what help us to convert serotonin into melatonin. So for those types of individuals, it might actually be best for them to consume most of their complex carbohydrates at dinner or their last meal of the day because that's actually going to help increase the amount of that melatonin production. So it really is just dependent off that individual and looking at where are their issues happening throughout the day hormonally and from a symptom perspective that will help us to be able to strategize where and how much of those carbohydrates should go at like a specific point of the day. So for people listening who are like, wow, this is fascinating. This is so much more information than I feel like I've ever gotten. What are some steps that you could give them that could be easy takeaways? Are there certain tests you can go to your doctor and ask about? Are there certain supplements to add in? Like, What are some tangible <laughs> steps that someone listening can take away if they feel like this is all amazing, this is going to help me, but I'm feeling overwhelmed where to begin? So depending on where you are in the spectrum of if you are completely new to learning how your nutrition and lifestyle factors impact your hormones, we talk about things like focusing on the quality of the food that you buy. So maybe it's just starting with 
trying to buy more of your produce organic, or if you're eating animal protein, switching over to wild caught and grass fed products to lower the amount of hormone exposure. Grocery shopping, I think, is a big place to start because that's majority of the food that hopefully you're consuming throughout the day. And then we talk about things like meal structure, how you pair foods together and how often you eat throughout the day, the role of healthy blood sugar levels, making sure that when you eat, you aren't just having carbs by themselves. You're always having some vegetables, some good fats, some protein. Every time that you eat, those should always be alongside of your carbohydrates uh, because those are going to help your body to stabilize that blood sugar response to that meal. So that's really the foundations, quality of the food you're buying, and then how you're pairing those foods together throughout the day. If you're like, I already am doing that, I still know that there are some hormone imbalances, or maybe it's not even showing up as hormones for you. I really believe in hormones because they impact the way that everything feels and functions in our bodies. I work with people sometimes that have these chronic digestive issues, and it isn't until we actually improve our hormones that their digestive issues improve because Sometimes it is more than just the digestive symptoms, but maybe that's all that you're noticing. So it could be you're dealing with digestive symptoms that are improving. You're dealing with irregular cycles, hair falling out, acne. A lot of those are rooted in hormones. And really the next step, if you want to get to the root of what's going on, I call it like collapsing time. Instead of like wasting time and energy buying all these new supplements and trying all of these different dietary strategies, just get testing done that can help you identify what's going on. And then from there, we can put together what sustainable changes do we need to make to elicit healing, elicit rebalancing in the body. Getting your hormones tested is a great place to start. For a lot of people, when they do have hormone imbalances, they might need additional testing to explain why those hormone imbalances exist. Hormone imbalances are never the root cause of the issue. So for example, if you get your testing back and you've got really high cortisol levels or you've got really high estrogen or really low progesterone levels, then we actually want to do additional testing that looks at things like what's going on in the gut, what's going on in the liver, what's going on with the um, overall stress burden on the body, because that is really where you're going to find those answers of why those hormones are imbalanced. Especially going into this time of year where it's the holidays, people are doing a lot of parties, a lot of things we're doing are centered around food and alcohol. What are some hormone healthy rituals that you recommend or that you like to adapt this time of year? What do you like to do during the holidays to keep you feeling healthy? It's funny you say that because I'm actually was working on it this morning. I'm putting together a holiday guide that's called Five Festive Days of Functional Healing. But I'm glad you asked that because. I do think that this is something that can be really stressful for people, especially if you are in this like healing phase right now and you don't want to insult people. It's always hard if you have like in-laws or distant family that you're going to eat with. And so a lot of times we just don't want to explain ourselves. So we're just like, you know what, I'm just going to just eat whatever. But then you end up noticing the effects of how you feel. And then that feels really defeating. And you maybe get upset with yourself of, oh, I shouldn't have done that because now I'm having a terrible period that's so heavy or I just feel so inflamed. And so I think first and foremost, it's setting boundaries for yourself on what are those areas that you're willing to have some flexibility on and then what are the non-negotiables for yourself? So for me, for example, a non-negotiable is regardless of the day and where I am, I have to get in some form of movement because mentally it's just what makes me feel my best. Like I've gone to start the day with some form of movement, even if it's a walk, which I could do anywhere, but that's a priority and like a boundary that I've set for myself. I'm always going to make sure that I travel with some protein and fiber rich snacks that I can have in the middle of the day. It might be helpful to just have something easy on hand that you can throw in your purse that you can have in between meals just to keep your blood sugar really nice and stable. Make sure that you're getting those nutrients and that energy and that your hormones need. The last thing I would really recommend is there can be a lot of emotional eating that happens during the holidays. And there's a couple of conversations I'd really think about just exploring. And I would even start with exploring these before the holidays gets here. First and foremost, could you start any non-food related festive traditions with your family? A lot of times people want holiday traditions to be around food, but could you maybe make something where you're actually helping other people and your family live a healthier life? You're exposing them to something. So for example, maybe you want to take your family to like your favorite place you go on hikes. And then 
maybe your cousin that goes on a hike with you ends up falling in love with hiking. And now the next year you see them, they're hiking every day and they're a way healthier person. You just never know how these non-food related habits or practices can impact other people. One example that I really love is with my in-laws. They're not really big, especially my mother-in-law. She's not really big into exercise. But whenever we go over for the holidays, we took them to a place that had a sauna. And I was telling her about the benefits of infrared sauna and that it can actually emulate the effects of cardiovascular exercise to some extent. And so she ended up investing in a sauna. So even though she isn't super motivated to exercise, now she's at least going in the sauna a few times per week and she's pouring detoxification and getting some of the benefits on her heart. And that was like a tradition that we started and that I exposed her to that now is something that's impacted her life. And also just reminding yourself too, how can I enjoy these foods, but do it in a way that is still supportive to my health? Anytime that I see something that I want to have that I'm like, this isn't the greatest thing for me, but I want to try it. And this is going to really bring me the joy that I'm looking for right now. Keep it to a palm and make sure that it's with my entire meal. I'm not going to have it by itself. I'm going to have it with my meal to make sure that I'm still nourishing my body. My body's still getting the fiber and the protein, the good fats that it needs. And then I'm going to have that treat that I really want, but it's going to stay within the size of my palm so that I know that it's not going to create crazy blood sugar skyrockets. It's not going to leave me feeling super fatigued and have a headache afterwards, making sure that I have everything to nourish my body first. And that treat is really that second priority of that meal. I love that all of those are ways that you can like abundantly take care of yourself and abundantly enjoy the holidays while still staying on a healing ritual. Something that I've loved to do the past couple of years is I always like bake cookies with my mom as everyone else mm-hmm. and their mother does. And instead of doing like the sugar cookie typical like box that we used to do, we now make like healthier cookies that are almond butter and coconut flour and cacao nibs, like a healthy hot chocolate where it's really yeah. antioxidant rich cacao rather than the Hershey's mix. And I love it because I'm I'm getting nutrients in my family and that is like my love language. So there are so yes. many ways that you can be creative about how you're fueling your body without it feeling restrictive. We are going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions, Lauren. First one, your go-to breakfast. A smoothie, which always has frozen blueberries, spring mix, camu camu powder, almond butter, some type of seed, flax or hemp seeds bone broth, protein powder. And then I actually use a tea base. So I make like a big batch of nettle tea or some type of herbal tea, refrigerate it. And then I use that as the liquid so that I'm able to get in some of those like additional herbal tea benefits. That is so genius to make tea the base. I've never heard that or thought that. That is so smart. I used to spend so much money on the dairy-free milks. Then I started making tea and I was like, this is such a win because now I no longer have to buy dairy-free milk. And I'm getting the benefits of the herbal component that I'm adding into it. So highly recommend. (laughs) So smart. Okay, life hack that you think everyone could benefit from? Exercise. Finding movement that you enjoy doing. I've noticed as I've gotten older that exercise is no longer physical. It's 100% mental for me in terms of like when I start my day with movement, the way that I show up in my life and for other people and for myself is from a completely different place than the days that I don't commit to that. It's just such a game changer for the way that you feel and function. That's so true. It's like the immediate difference you feel. Last question, a book that changed your life. A book that's called, I think it's called Brain Grain. I'm blanking on the physician's name that wrote it, but it talks about how gluten impacts our brain. And when I was probably 20 years old, I didn't know this, but I had non-celiac gluten sensitivity and had many digestive issues for so long. I read that book and I stopped eating gluten and all of my lifelong diarrhea that I experienced stopped and my life was like completely changed. It just was such an eye-opener to me at that point because I always loved bread and I always thought, okay, eating grains is good for you. And it is for some people, it can be supportive, but for my own bioindividuality, it, it just wasn't working well. So that book opened my eyes to a lot. It's crazy how one book you read. That's why I love this question because it's like the one book that actually does change your life. Like, okay, Lauren, where can everyone find you, work with you, do your programs, listen to your podcast, give us all the things. So my practice is called Functional Fueling and our website's functionalfueling.com. I'm on Instagram at functional.fueling. 
My podcast is called Strength and Hormones, and I bring on different experts in the hormone space to talk about just teaching you more about your hormone health. And like I mentioned, I'm putting together a five festive days, a functional fueling guide right now, my recommendations for navigating the holidays and a way that's really supportive of health, but in a way that's supporting joy and being present with your family. Lauren, thank you so much. This was such an informative conversation. I'm going to be going back and taking notes. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Every Girl Podcast on Instagram or theeverygirlpodcast.com. Talk to you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 